Welcome to the Church Fam Podcast, presented to you by Highland College Ministry in Waco, Texas. My name is Drew Humphrey, and I'm the college pastor here at Highland. If you like this podcast and want to keep up with us, go ahead and hit subscribe or follow so that these episodes can be delivered directly to your phone each week. We've got a great episode planned today, so let's jump right in. That was just one of the most beautiful moments. Just the voices. I love it. For those that I haven't gotten to meet, my name's Dale, and uh, I'm on the college team at Harris Creek leading community, and it's just a great honor to be with you uh, tonight. I've uh, been in Waco the last 10 years, and, and I, I really think that uh, this unity of the body uh, between churches and ministries, uh, I've almost like forgotten how unusual it is. And, and, and the reason why I say that is I posted on my Instagram this week about tonight. I was like, hey, my people, like pray for it. And, uh, and then somebody DM'd me, and I won't tell you the city, but it's Dallas. And uh, they were like, man, this, we just could never imagine this happening in our city. Like sincerely, like it's such an encouragement to be in ministry in this city and to see what your city is doing. And, and I, I was like, oh, what? Like, this is what's happening in Waco. Like, this is what God is doing. This feels uh, normal now. And I don't want it, I don't want to lose sight that this is crazy. It shouldn't be, but it's crazy. And it shouldn't be because in the kingdom of God, like, we really truly are all on the same team. It's not just this like thing we throw out there, you know, like uh, a tweet, which y'all don't use Twitter, but it's one of those things that people used to use where there would be phrases. And uh, it's not just this phrase we throw out that's empty. It's really real. Uh, we really are all on the same team. And for all of you that uh, have jumped between churches, uh, all of us are friends as college pastors. So like we know, like just so you know, just like it's okay. And we're going to talk to you about it, but it's, it's almost comical that we're like, you know, we have each other's phone numbers, right? Like, and so, uh, so I don't know why we're cheering, but that uh, is exciting. It is exciting that there's a group text of really every college ministry uh, in this city. And, um, and so it's just an honor to get to be here with y'all tonight and to get uh, to God's word in, in just a moment. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is, is this really feels sweet because it reminds me of FM 72. And uh, let's go. Uh, those of you that have been around Waco, you know that FM 72 is when we do something similar to this in the spring. And we spend four days of like 72 hours of prayer on Fountain Mall. That's why it's called FM 72, but like no one really knows. That's why it's called FM 72. And uh, so Fountain Mall for 72 hours of prayer. And then every night we gather and we, we worship and we learn from God's word. It's amazing. And so it's cool to get to do this uh, in the fall and, and really give the people that are new to Waco a glimpse of uh, one of the rhythms that we have uh, to just stay fresh and following Jesus here in Waco. And so... Uh, I want to start by telling you this story about my wife and I. I just got married uh, last September. Yep, there we go. Amen. Took me till I was 29, but that's fine. Uh, there's no rush. Uh, I didn't get the Baylor ring by spring. And, uh, but I, I eventually, we got married in, in September of last year, and stuff in my life started to change. 
And uh, it's really sad, uh, but it's for the better. You know this, and it's not just what you're thinking, the usual suspects of like, my wardrobe changed. No, I've always been an athleisure guy. Like that was pre-JC, I was still into athleisure. And uh, it wasn't like she changed my hairdo. There's not much to change. And so uh, it's not what you're thinking. It's not the usual stuff. What happened is uh, JC started to bring me home some gifts and, and the gift was in the form of toothpaste. And so like a few months into our marriage, she brings home this toothpaste. She's like, hey, I just want you to try this toothpaste. I'm like, oh, that's great. No problem. You know, I, I, that's great. Thank you for picking that up for me. And then a few months later, she brings another tube of toothpaste. And I'm like, this is peculiar. You know, this is starting to get interesting. And then a little bit after that, a few months after that, she buys this really, really big pack of toothbrushes. And she's like, I got you a new toothbrush too. And I'm like, okay, wait a second. Like we're now three tubes of toothpaste in. I have a new toothbrush. Is there something we need to talk about here? Like, is this your passive aggressive way of telling me my breath smells bad? Like, let's just be honest. This is marriage. You can be honest. And so we have this incredibly funny conversation about how my breath smells bad. I'll just be honest. And I thought that was the case because I love coffee. I, I truly love coffee and I talk all the time. And when you talk a lot, your breath tends to smell worse. And I'm sorry if you're up front, if you can catch a whiff of it, but I, I actually had a cough drop just before this, so you should be fine. And, and so here's the deal. We have this conversation about the ways I need to change. And then she tells me this news. I, I wanna ask y'all if you knew this, that you're supposed to change your toothbrush every three to four months. Did you know this? This is like, if you Google it, wait, are y'all serious? Raise your hand if you knew this. Like, okay, raise your hand if you didn't know this. I'm with y'all, I'm with y'all. <laughs> I love this. I thought there was more people that didn't know about this. <laughs> oh man. Hey, Drew and Austin are with me. That's all that matters. Here we go. You see, JC in her kindness was showing me I needed to change. And I really didn't know I needed to change until she showed me, until she told me. I thought she was right, but it took somebody helping for me to really believe it. And then it even, uh, I, I thought she was right. And then I, there even were ways that I had no idea that, that I was wrong and that I needed change in my life. A new toothbrush every three to four months. Who knew? Apparently all of you, but I didn't. I didn't. And I start with that tonight. It's silly. It's a silly way to start, but, but I, what I think it, it does is it sets up the night. As I've told you, I've been here for 10 years. And I see a lot of the same things over and over again. And I think that we need change. Like that's what tonight's about. Like we need a change, amen? And I think, I think a lot of us know it. You're like me with the bad breath. You're like kind of deep down. You're like, I think I actually do need change because you come to things like this and you hear from the word of God and then you compare it to your life and you're like, man, it just doesn't really add up. Like my life doesn't really look like what they're talking about. Or maybe you show up to a small group and you talk through the scriptures and you're like, man, I just, I don't think I'm where I'm supposed to be. So many of us in this room tonight already know we need change. 
And then there's a group of us that we don't even realize some of the change that we need. You don't realize that, that the relationship that you're in actually isn't healthy. You don't realize, and that's okay. My hope is that the spirit of the living God tonight would reveal to you the ways that you need to change, the ways that, that I need to change. And I pray and I hope that this would come from the scriptures tonight. And I think it's so important because if we don't change, we're really gonna miss Jesus. Like we're gonna really miss the life that he's called us to, this fullness of joy that you hear about, these pleasures forevermore in his presence. Like if we don't change, we're gonna miss Jesus and all that comes with him that is so good in this life. And so we're gonna be in the most random place in the entire Bible. In the Old Testament, we're gonna be in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. It's in the Old Testament, just after the Kings, but think before the Psalms, Proverbs. It's before that. 2 Chronicles 34. Here's what you need to know about, about this text. I'm gonna set it up a little bit. We're gonna pray just before we read it. Here's what you need to know about the Old Testament thus far. Uh, obviously, God created the heavens and the earth, and then uh, God uh, creates a chosen people. It's called Israel. It's the Jewish people. And at, and at one point, the Jewish people are, are enslaved by Egypt, and then uh, they're set free, and then they eventually end up in the land that had been promised to them, which was Israel. That's what we know of as Israel. And so uh, what hap what's happening is they've had a season of judges, and now they're in a season of kings. And so we're entering into this uh, story, this narrative in history. Think it's describing what happened. It's not a prescription of commandment of how to live. We're, we're jumping into like a story, like a narrative. It's actually different than a lot of what we uh, uh, get to read in the New Testament. And so what we're going to see is this is all about a king named Josiah. It's this random king that you may never have heard of. We're going to see his example and what he does and what God does in his life and what it does in the nation of Israel. And so that's what we're going to learn tonight. And there's really three movements because it's a big narrative. I'm just going to give you where we're going to go. First, we're going to see that Josiah seeks the Lord. And then we're going to see that Josiah destroys the distractions. And then we're going to see that Josiah elevates the word. That's what we're going to take away from Josiah's example from the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles 34. And before I do, I'm, I'm going to uh, ask that we pray again. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. And Highland calls this the house of prayer. So I think it's just fitting. And so would you bow your heads just with me for a moment? God, as we just approach your word, we pray that you would help us. Lord, I, I know we, there's so many distractions in this room, things we should be studying for, uh, uh, people that are sitting near us that, that w we haven't seen in a while that we want to talk to or maybe we want to impress. I pray that you would remove every distraction in this room. By your grace and by your spirit, would, would you use this time in your word? Would you give us focus? 
And would the spirit of God work in this time? And I'm just going to ask that you would pray in the quietness of your own heart uh, to God. And I just want you to say a simple prayer. God, would you speak to me tonight? And I'll say it out loud, just in the quietness of your own heart. God, would you speak to me tonight? And then would you pray for me? God, would you speak through Dale? Would you use Dale tonight? Lord, we beg of you to do a work. We know we need change. Would your spirit and your word change our hearts and our minds? And would it give you glory? And would it reach our neighbors? And would it reach the nations because of the work that you do in and through this time tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, King Josiah, starting in verse one. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. He's a a really, really young king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So he starts leading very young. And the first half of verse three, what I'm about to read is our focus for the first point. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. Let's stop right here. He began to seek the God of David, his father. Now, this is peculiar to me because uh, Josiah is Jewish. Like he's culturally Jewish. He's already a Jew. He's king of Israel. He is Jewish. Yet... There was a moment in his life when he was about 16 where he had to seek the God of his father, David. There has to be this moment, despite being Jewish, to actually have faith and seek God. You see, for Josiah, it wasn't just about culture and growing up in the Jewish tradition. It was about seeking the Lord. Which brings us to our first point as we need change. The first point is that we seek the Lord, just like Josiah. And I actually think it's really applicable to you and me because so many people in this room were like, we grew up in church, therefore I'm a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. Like growing up in the church does not make you a Christian. Growing up in America doesn't make you a Christian. Growing up in a particular city doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. None of those things make you a Christian. You see, there has to be a moment in your life where you rightly understand that Jesus, the Son of God, came down from heaven to earth, lived perfectly on our behalf, died the death that we deserve, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. We believe in him and we follow him. And in the Old Testament, in Josiah's way, he sought the Lord. He sought God. We, as New Testament believers, we follow Jesus. We seek the Lord too. And I think so many of us miss this really, really simple thing. Like this is everything. Our relationship with God is everything. And and, and here's what I mean. As as we think about seeking the Lord and a relationship with God, it it just reminds me of this time I pranked one of my friends in college or just after college. uh, I convinced one of my buddies that I was dating this girl. 
And so every time he would come in, he'd be like, how's that girl? I'm like, ah, oh, she's great. You know, oh, she's not here. And I, it was a girl that played on the women's basketball team. This Australian, none of y'all know her. Her name's Christy Wallace, but she's in the WNBA, which is cool. And, uh, and so I convinced my friend that I was dating this girl, uh, Christy. And, uh, and so every time he came in, we'd have this conversation. And then finally, six months later, his name was Jimmy. Jimmy in front of a huge group of people was like, Dale, how are things going with Christy? And in front of all of those people, everyone just died laughing. You probably had to be there because y'all aren't laughing. But, uh, but we just all die laughing. We're like, Jimmy, I don't even know Christy. I've never taken Christy on a date. Christy doesn't know my name. I've never spent time with Christy. I haven't pursued Christy. I don't know Christy. I don't know her. And Jimmy was, you know, he was this punk and, and we would just prank each other. And so it was so fun. But, but when I think about that, like I think about that fake relationship, I actually think about what a lot of us kind of think. Like we think we're Christians when we shouldn't. And here's why. We don't spend time with God. We don't listen to God and his word. We don't spend time around God's people. Like we, we aren't in relationship with God. And if you say you're dating somebody and you never take them out and you never get to know them and you never talk to them, then you're not really dating. And the same is true with our relationship with God. We must seek the Lord again. It starts simple, but it's so important. And what's cool for us as, as New Testament believers is as we seek the Lord, as we come to know the Lord, we get the spirit of God in us. Like this is amazing that the spirit is in us. And, and this is, is such a sweet thing that we get to experience as we follow and seek the Lord. And so I think so many of us, we just, we, we think that we're Christians because we have Christian morals and we don't have Christ. And I don't want to go too far ahead tonight without just starting with the basics that we must seek the Lord. And how do we do this? We seek him by spending time with him, praying, spending time in his word. And as I said earlier, around his people. And the other thing I love from this passage is it says that he began to seek the God of David, his father. David wasn't really his father. He was just in the line of David as a king himself. But what I think is interesting is I just picture Josiah seeking the Lord and thinking about how David sought the Lord. That man after God's own heart, he was just learning from this legend of David. Like he, he's learning from somebody in the past that's been faithful. He, I can just imagine he's comparing himself to David. He's trying to learn from David's example of faithfulness. And for us, we, we have the entire Bible to just look to and go, man, we, we have so much we can learn from Abraham. We have so much we can learn from Moses. We have so much we can learn from Mary. There's so much we can learn from Martha. There's so much we can learn from Jesus. And those things and these people we look to and it can stir our affections and how we can seek God. 
And so I, I just want to challenge you. I think so often this room, like we, we come here and we're like, man, we feel like pretty good Christians. We kind of feel like we seek the Lord pretty well. Why? Because we look to our right and our left. We're like, we're not that bad compared to the, that person that's crazy or that person that was drunk this weekend or all these different people that we compare ourselves to. Like we look around and we think we're okay. Here's my challenge to you. When it comes to seeking the Lord, let our example be the people in the Bible. And when you read that, you're like, man, I kind of feel like a baby Christian. When I read Paul, I'm like, I'm a baby. I got, I got a lot to grow in when it comes to seeking the Lord. When I read about Peter, I'm like, I got a lot to grow in when it comes to seeking the Lord. And so the first way that we need change is, is simple. We need to seek the Lord. We can even look to the example of Josiah. That's what we're doing tonight. So again, first we seek the Lord. And before we get to the next point, I just want you to write down for a moment the answer to this question. What is it that you seek other than God? Think about that for a moment. What is it that you seek other than God? Write it down if you have notes. We're going to jump back into verse three, the second half of verse three. Again, talking about Josiah. And in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places and the ashram and the carved and the metal images. They chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them and he broke in pieces the ashram and the carved and the metal images and he made dust of them. And he scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. So what is happening here? What is Josiah doing? He is removing the high places. He is purging the high places. If you're like me, you're like, what in the world is a high place? I've never heard of a high place. What is this? Just think like a hill or something that was made that they would walk up to to worship little g gods, things that aren't God, like, like these metal images, these idols, uh, think like statues and altars. Like there would be all these places where people would go and worship other things. And Josiah's like, we got to get rid of these things. We got to get rid of these things. That's what Josiah does. And that's what leads us to our second point tonight of the change that we need. We need to destroy the distractions. We need to destroy the distractions. What I love about Josiah is he, he, doesn't, just, uh, he doesn't just put those, uh, those images and those statues and just put them to the side for the next king to worship or for other people. He's not like putting them in the closet for later. That's not what he's doing. I love what the text says, that he made dust of them. And then he scattered it. He's like, and we're done with it. That's like, that. it's dead. That's what it is. It's like cremating all of those things that he got rid of. Like, that's what he's doing. Like, that's how far gone is. He is destroying the things that are distracting God's people from worshiping him. And so for us, like, what is it that we're worshiping other than God? What is it that we're seeking other than God? That's my question. And whatever those things are, like that's what God is calling us to destroy. And the question is like, how do we destroy distractions? Like if, I, if I'm here and I struggle with body image, like how do, I, how do I destroy that? How do I destroy that? You put the mirrors and the scales in the dumpster. 
You take the laxatives and you pour them down the drain. You delete the social medias that make it worse. You set up meals with friends. You give up control of your life. That's how you get rid of a distraction of body image. How do you get rid of the distraction of a GPA? I'm kind of obsessed with my 4.0, Dale. Can't just quit school. Good luck. I can't call my mom and be like, hey, the preacher guy told me to destroy distractions. I'm dropping out of school. Yeah, I've actually gotten that call before. Something along those lines didn't go well. Anyways, how do you purge the GPA? Like, how do you destroy that distraction? You set a healthy number of hours to study and you stick to it. And you just trust the outcomes of those hours. Just trust that that's sufficient. And then the last thing is, quit talking about your GPA. Quit, quit sharing the grades that you've gotten with other people. Quit talking about it. Quit putting it on the altar. Quit worshiping it. That's how you purge it. The last thing, or the two more. How do you destroy technology? You just, you can get rid of social media if you need to. You can set screen restrictions and don't allow internet if you struggle with pornography. You can, you can have no TV shows or movies in your room. Like, like all these things are possible. Like that's how you destroy the distractions of technology. Fantasy football, you can get rid of it. It's okay if you lose. Whatever the consequence is, I'll help you pay it. All right, I'll help you. And then lastly, maybe the one I just, that just grinds my gears the most because I experienced it. How do we destroy the distraction of, of organizations? Like those things, those either academic clubs or social clubs or, or whatever clubs you want to call it, service clubs, whatever you want to call it. How do, you, how do you destroy that distraction? Don't wear the letters. Don't wear the shirt. Don't wear the pin. Don't, don't mess with it. And, and I was in the fraternity world. And, and here's why I think we really can get rid of it. And, and I would even say you should get rid of it. If you're a part of any organization, you should give it up for at least one semester. And here's why. Absolutely no one knows what they're signing up for. Absolutely no one. You want to know why? I signed up for this fraternity pretty much to play sports. I end up uh, playing intramurals. I, I end up in this fraternity. If I was in school today in this fraternity, from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., I was going to be a part of pledge ship. From 8 to 10 p.m., I would be a part of pigskin. And then from 10 to midnight, I was going to be a part of a leadership meeting. Here's the deal. I had no idea. I thought I was signing up to play football with my friends. I didn't know I was going to dance on a stage. I didn't know I was going to not have any time for school or church or anything else. I had absolutely no idea. How do we destroy the distraction of organizations? We give them up at, at minimum for a semester and a season. Quit wearing this stuff. Quit worshiping it. We destroy distractions. And with that extra time, go all in with Jesus. Figure out what it really means to seek the Lord. Figure out what it really means to, to pray. Figure out what it really means to be a part of a church. I know four great ones that are here, and there's even more in Waco. But it all starts with us destroying the distractions. And I would even say, God, 
working in us to destroy the distractions. That's something we need help with. He has to do that in our lives. And what I love about King Josiah is that he's king. So he just goes around like the whole country. He's like, I'm just going to kick this over. I'm going to destroy this because I'm king. I'm awesome, right? Like he can do whatever he wants. He's the king. So the application is not for y'all to go do that in Waco, at MCC, TSCC, Baylor, wherever you are. Like, don't go to your house and go destroy your roommate's, you know, stuff or, you know, fraternity shirts. Don't burn them, okay? Like, I'm not, I'm not telling you to go do this. I, I, I'm, inviting, I'm inviting us to ask the question for ourselves. Like, what are the distractions that need to be destroyed in our lives? And if you want to have those conversations with your roommates or your friends, he, here's how you do this. You go to them and you say, hey, do you see any idols, things I worship, any distractions in my life? That's how you start the conversation. That's how you get the ball rolling. And then you just pray that, that God would use that time to work in their lives and in your life. Because you're, you're there thinking that God's going to use it to work in their life. And watch out, they're about to say something that you didn't see coming that God's gonna use in your life to destroy a distraction that you were blind to. That's how we can go apply this as we learn from King Josiah. So first, in the change that we need, we seek the Lord, then we destroy the distractions, and then we're gonna learn the last thing from King Josiah. What you have to understand is uh, later on in his reign as king, in the 18th year, he's cleansed the land. He's done what we've been reading about. And then he sent this crew to repair the temple. And as they're repairing the temple, this, this is crazy. They find the book of the law, which would have been like the, the beginning parts of the Bible that we have today. And so Josiah doesn't know about this. And really, none of Israel knows that the book of the law is in the temple. How do you forget where the Bible is? I don't know, but that's what they did. They find it and they bring it to King Josiah. And somebody reads the entire uh, either book, the, either the first five books of the Bible or the book of Deuteronomy. It's probably what was written or read to him out loud. And this is his response in verse 19. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Homie's like, Holy smokes, we have missed it. We did not realize how unfaithful we've been. He thought he was doing all the right things as he was seeking the Lord, as he was destroying the distractions. He reads the book of the law and his eyes are opened all the more to the ways that they've fallen short of God's glory. And he asks the priest to go and pray. There's this prophetess named Holda and she speaks and says, hey, the people and the nation of Israel will be punished because of their disobedience. But King Josiah, he will be protected because of what? Verse 26 or 27, excuse me, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words. 
when he heard the words of the law against this place and its inhabitants and you humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. And so then King Josiah gathers all the people of Israel, all of the elders, and he's like, hey, we gotta read this thing. Like everyone needs to know the, the, the book of the law. I'm gonna call it the Bible. Like everyone's gotta know this Bible. We've been missing it. And it's so important because they had been disobeying it. You're like, which, which part of it were they disobeying? The part where they weren't supposed to have other gods. Remember, seek the Lord, remove the high places. He's like, we have been missing it. There's so many ways that they've been missing it. And so what King Josiah does is he elevates the word. That's the third change we need here. In Waco, this is what we need in our young adults and our college students. We need the word to be elevated. And what I love here is that Josiah didn't have the word of God. He, his people find it, bring it to him, and then he repents for the way that they've disobeyed. We have all of the word of God in so many languages and translations. Many of us have multiple copies of it and we're not repenting for our disobedience. He didn't even know and he's repenting. We know and we're not repenting. We must elevate the word of God and we must obey it. Like we must obey it in our lives. And, and I think that what I've seen here is that we so often think too highly of our own thoughts and opinions. Like I, I, I remember even doing this myself when I was in college. Like so often I thought I was right about so many different things. And, and one weird thing I've thought as I've gotten older is I, I wish I just thought I was wrong more often. Like I really am wrong more often than I'm right. And, and I, I wanna invite you to just kind of think for yourself, like what if I'm, I'm not as right as I think I am? That's what I wanna invite you to think of. And here's what I mean by this. Here's what I mean by this. I, I've heard students tell me that it's, it's okay for them not to go to church or be all in at a church, be connected to a church, why? Because you live with Christians. You're like, that's my church. This is church. Well, these are our people. These are our people. And that sounds reasonable. It's just not true. It's a lie from the enemy. And how do I know that? 1 Corinthians 12 calls us to be a part of the body of Christ. 1 Peter 5 calls us to having elders. And Hebrews 10 tells us to not neglect gathering. You don't have that stuff in your house. You're made up truth isn't true. Another thing I've heard, I've had students tell me it's okay for them to, to make out it, it, with clothes on and get on top of each other because it's not sex. And, and that sounds reasonable. It's just not true that it's not sin. It's lust. How do I know that? First Corinthians 6 calls us to flee sexual immorality. Jesus himself in Matthew 5 calls us to cut out lust. Lastly, 
I've, I've had students tell me that they don't struggle with, you know, any of those big things like the pornography or the, the sexual sin or the crazy sin. And, and, and you're like, I'm, I'm kind of better than that. Like, what is it? What's, what am I supposed to do? It sounds reasonable. It's just not true. That's pride. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And that's repeated over and over again in scripture. Proverbs 3, 1 Peter 5, James 4. And, and then here's the last thing. You're like, but Dale, I don't have conviction about that sin. Like, I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel bad about that sin. We're, we're, I don't feel bad that I've made up my own truth that I, I can live in. And, and here's the reality. If somebody murders somebody and doesn't feel conviction about it, does that mean it's okay? No. No. Just because you don't feel conviction doesn't mean that you can do it. Like quit trusting your convictions. This is part of us trusting our thoughts and our opinions and our convictions. We need to decrease those things and increase and elevate the word of God. We have to start lowering our opinions and elevating the word of God. And honestly, the best place I've seen this in my own life it, 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 as in just an illustration is whenever I receive furniture from Target. Anyone like furniture from Target? No, I'm the only one that uses it. Okay, JC is the only one that orders furniture from Target. Anyways, here's the deal. Whenever I receive furniture from Target, I just start putting it together. Why? Because I know what I'm doing. Why? Because I graduated from Baylor. I should figure out how to put a bookshelf together. I don't need instructions to tell me how to put six pieces of thing, you know, whatever, metal and wood together. I don't need that. And then I get very close to the end. It's starting to look beautiful. And then I realize I missed this really small, really important piece in step two that who knew was necessary. Like I had no idea. So I have to restart. So many of us are like that. We think instruction is a suggestion. Instruction, God's design in his word is not a suggestion. It's what we're meant to obey. So many of us think of it that way. We must elevate the word of God in our lives. And what happens as we elevate it and as we obey it is we start to, to want what it wants, want, God, want what God wants. We start to like the things that God likes. Our appetites change. Our appetites change. Our convictions start to align with the truth of God's word. And we have, I have this friend on our college team named Bree and uh, Bree gave up soda recently. And, uh, and she said this weird thing started to happen as she gave up soda, she started to crave water. Like she started to crave something that she was supposed to drink when she was uh, borderline addicted to Diet Cokes, I'm pretty sure. And, and she just started to crave something good, something that she needed and something better. She still wants to drink a Diet Coke every once in a while. But her appetite and her thirst changed. And that's what happens as we elevate the word of God. Our appetite changes. 
And this is only possible as we see from Josiah, if we humble ourselves and we just say, man, I just don't think I'm always right. Like, I just don't really know if I'm always like, my ways are always the right ways. I gotta look to this. Like, what does this say? It takes humility. It takes humility to elevate the word of God. That's part of the change that we need here in Waco. Elevate the word. How do we do this? We read it, we memorize it, we meditate on it, we talk about it, we teach it, we obey it, we be accountable to obeying it in small groups, in churches, and then we humble ourselves. One of the best ways that you can humble yourself and elevate the word is by getting on your knees every day to start and end every day. I've always said, if you can start your day on your knees and end your day on your knees, then I believe you will, you will walk humbly through your day. You will walk humbly through your day. And what I love about this is what happens in this story of King Josiah in 2 Chronicles 35 in the next chapter is the Passover is restored. The Passover is restored. Like, like the whole nation starts this festival, this feast, and restarts it. It hadn't been happening since the time of Samuel. As you elevate the word, God's people begin to obey. And a beautiful thing starts to happen. And I, I think, uh, I think this story is, is really meaningful to me for a unique reason. Because many of you don't know me, but I, I feel like as I look back on my college years, it was filled with compromise. Like, like that's the word I look back on. I mean, I'm like, I just was like pretending to follow Jesus, but I really wasn't following Jesus. Like I had, I had one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus. And it just like was the most unsatisfying thing and I talked about uh, the sexual sin and getting on top of each other and, and not thinking that that's sin. And I talked about the organization and worshiping the organization. I talked about pride. And I wasn't just pointing at you. I was remembering my life. I was remembering the ways that I was distracted. I was remembering the ways that I was creating my own rules and boundaries instead of elevating the word of God. And by God's grace, I, I left Baylor and, and I had my life flipped upside down by Jesus. Like I, I really, really undeservedly had God reveal that I was lukewarm and headed for hell. And Jesus died for my compromise. Like all the ways that I fell short of God's glory, he was like, I've taken care of it. I've paid for it. I've forgiven it. That's why I died on the cross. And I just didn't even realize like that it was really true and really possible and that Jesus really was where life was found. Like I just had no idea. And in his kindness, 
he showed me that I needed change. I needed change. In his kindness, he brought me back to Waco. I had never thought I'd be back here. It wasn't cool back then to be in Waco. It's gotten cooler. He brought me back to Waco to just help students realize that life is found in Jesus. Like fullness of joy, fullness of life. It's not void of suffering and persecution, but it's filled with the most wonderful fruits of both the Spirit and the fruit of multiplication. I'll get to that in a moment. In summary, we need change. And so we need to seek the Lord. We need to destroy the distractions. We need to elevate the word. And if you're sitting here and you're like, this is what I'm doing, Dale. Hey, be encouraged. Be strengthened by this message. And I'll close with this. I, part of my story as God brought me back here was I just had this sense that God wanted to do a work of revival and reformation. That there's a lot of people that are dead that need to be alive. Revival. That there's a lot of people that are making up their own ways and truth. And they need to be reformed. They need to change their views and elevate the truth. So I had this prayer of constantly, if you want to write that prayer down with me, would you pray it with me for revival and for reformation? It's honestly a lot of what I've talked about tonight. This life that's found in seeking the Lord. It's destroying the distractions and it's elevating the word. That's revival and reformation. And then I have one more prayer. I have one more prayer. And it's that it would impact our neighbors and it would impact the nations. Like I really believe if we, if we rightly understand who Jesus is, what he's done for us, we learn to seek him, we remove the distractions, we elevate the word. What we start to do is we start to multiply. We start to tell other people about Jesus. We start to reproduce. We start to disciple all nations, both our neighbors and the nations. And there's no better time to learn how to do that than right now as a college student in Waco. Because what we want you to do in your four years here is learn to love Jesus, learn to tell people about Jesus and then prepare you to go do that wherever else God calls you. And if you don't have strings attached, I pray that he would call you overseas to a place where people don't have access to Jesus. Like everyone here has access to Jesus. There are people in this world who have no access. So tie their twenties, give them up, go tell people about Jesus, go tell all nations, whether you're in Dubai or in Denver, you were made to tell your neighbors and the nations about this man named Jesus who saved us and has given us life, has given us breath, who is our treasure, who is our treasure. And we get to tell them about the change that he has made in our lives. You see, once we're changed, just as Josiah was changed, 
it changes the people around us and it reaches our neighbors and the nations. And that's how we change the world. Let me pray that we would. God, we just come to you humbly. We beg that you would use us. Lord, would you change our lives? Would you change our hearts? Would you change our minds? Would you help us to seek you? Not in a shallow way, but in in this way of depth, in this way of the examples that you've given us in the Bible. When we follow you and seek you in those ways, Lord, I pray that the Spirit would help us to destroy distractions that tonight people would share with their roommates the distractions of their lives, that people would give things uh, to their roommates and say, hey, would you throw this away? Would you get rid of this? That people would go to their community, their life groups, their small groups, they'd say, hey, will somebody lock my phone and keep me from returning to internet? Would you just make it impossible? Would you delete every social media? Would your spirit uh, change in us the way that we view God's word as culture turns on us and says that what we believe is, is not true and hateful? Lord, would you give us grace and, a, and love and gentleness and winsomeness and help us to be filled with grace and truth? And will we start by just elevating the word in our lives? and then sharing the way that you've changed our lives with others. And I pray that it would reach the classmates to our right and to our left, that it would reach our neighbors. And ultimately, Lord, I really believe the work you're doing is meant to reach the nations. By your grace and by your spirit, would you use us? We ask you to first change us so that we can go and tell people of what you've done for us through your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.